Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. <clears throat> Excuse me. My guest today, Allison Brennan, is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling and award-winning author of over, we just counted, 40 thrillers and numerous short stories and novellas. She was nominated for Best Paperback Original Thriller by International Thriller had multiple nominations and two Daphne du Maurier Awards, and as a five-time RITA finalist for Best Romantic Suspense, Allison believes life is too short to be bored, so she had five kids and spends all her non-writing time as a sports spectator, chauffeur, and short-order cook. Um, I'm not sure if this is still uh, uh, true. She has a dog, two cats, and three chickens, and she and her family live in Arizona. Her latest thriller, Tell No Lies, just came out last week. It's the second book in the Kara Quinn, Matt Costa series, and welcome, Allison Brennan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. Happy to have you. Uh, I do have the longest bumper music, I think, to start any show. Um, I probably need to get that (laughs) checked down. Anyway, uh, thanks for staying in for that. So could you tell us a little bit about Tell No Lies, which we were talking beforehand? I think it's really a good book, and there's (laughs) there's a lot going on. But anyway... Tell us about Tell No Lies and Be Truthful, please. (laughs) Well, um, like you said, this is the second book in the Quinn and Costa series. Uh, The first book came out last year, The Third to Die. Um, And I'll just, a little background just about how I came up with this idea. I get bored very easily. And so (laughs) I, I wanted to create a series that had an ensemble cast. So I, had a, I have 17 books in my Lucy Kincaid series, and it focuses on Lucy and then her boyfriend, who turns, becomes her husband later, Sean Rogan. But it really is focusing on Lucy. I wanted more of an ensemble cast. So I kind of took um, a real-life FBI unit, the evidence response teams that are located. Most of the FBI offices have them. And they're basically experts in their field, and they come together to investigate complex crimes. And I learned about this when I went through the FBI Citizens Academy, and the ERT unit in Sacramento was the one that investigated the Yosemite murders. Um, Carrie Mm. Steiner and everybody from California knows about that case. So I was really fascinated. But because I get bored, I said, I don't want to set this in any one area. Like Lucy takes place in San Antonio. I wanted to go all over the country. So I created basically what's the evidence response team, but I call it the mobile response team, and they go to rural and underserved communities, places where local law enforcement doesn't really have the resources to Mm -hmm. handle these kind of cases. So the first book took place in a tiny town outside of Spokane, Washington, and Spokane's not even that big. Um, The second book, Tell No Lies, takes place in Patagonia, Arizona. And ironically, I picked this location and the setting before I even decided to move to Arizona. (laughs) But I am, so Patagonia only has a thousand people. It's a very small mining town south of Tucson. And Tucson Mm -hmm. really isn't even that big compared to like Phoenix. Um, But I just, I love the area and I love being able to research it. So I came up with the idea to set it in this little teeny town and to have you know, whenever you have small towns, you have secrets, <laughs> and that's always fun. <laughs> so um, that's anyway. That's how I kind of came up with the whole concept. Yeah, when I saw uh, Patagonia when I was reading the book, I thought that must be fictional. Then I looked it up. Um, 
But so I guess you're this time when you got bored too easily, you decided to not give birth to more children, but just do a new series, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. I sold, I sold my very first book in 2004 and it came out in January of 2006. I sold it when I was pregnant with my last kid. And I said, okay, now, oh. I'm, now I'm birthing books. I'm not birthing any more kids. I'm just yeah. going to do the books. <laughs> well, as, as we were talking earlier, you've been prolific at that. So, one of the many things I liked about Telling the Lies, it's, it's a really good book, uh, is how people working undercover handle that stress differently. And this is something I really didn't think about, um, about uh, law enforcement under working um, undercover, is that they also deal with the guilt about uh, deceiving people. And um, that's somebody, you know, as I mentioned, I, I never even thought of that. And I think you handled that really well. So what kind of, so what kind of research did you do for that? Well, I think undercover work is just fascinating, but I really started thinking about it when a, three or four years ago, I participated in the Writers Police Academy that Lee Laughlin uh, mm-hmm. puts on every year. And it was in Wisconsin, and I was sitting at the dinner with a former, a retired cop, and I listened to his presentation. He w- used to be an undercover cop in New York. And he was just fascinating. He was telling all these stories. And now he was kind of funny about how he was telling his stories. But I realized, I mean, a lot of the stories were really dark. And I said, wow, he, he did undercover work for several years, not as long as Cara Quinn has done it, but many years. And mm-hmm. just hearing his stories and how he recounted them made me say, I really want to write a character who is an undercover cop. And then also the whole thing I – um, 21 Jump Street, which came out when I was a teenager. I <laughs> loved that TV show. And so I'm thinking, ooh, that's Kara. She was young. She was um, a cop, a new cop. She was recruited into the special program. Um, now, that's all her backstory. It's not her current right. story. But that was kind of how I came up with her character, thinking, well, what if you know she did this? And what if she didn't really even know who she was because all she did was play these roles? So when she's very comfortable being undercover, and so I wanted to juxtapose that with Michael, who is an extremely honest, straightforward, loyal um, former Navy SEAL who became an FBI agent, which is also another thing that I learned in the FBI Academy. When I went through the Citizens Academy, there is a lot of former military that become FBI agents. So to me, that was very logical that he would segue from military to the FBI. They recruit heavily out of the military. So he couldn't, he had a much harder time working in his undercover role and feeling deceptive. So I wanted to show kind of those two sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, that, you know, my initial thought of the stress, of course, would be if you're in a dangerous situation, is, you know, what if I get um, revealed? And there's that tension. But yeah, this tension. Um, because you know, even Carol, that she 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 deals with it differently. Even she feels guilty about it. And uh, I just thought that was a fascinating thing that you know I never probably I'm not the only one never thought about that that real life undercover cops have to go through. To this FBI Citizen Academy, I'm guessing that you not everybody can just walk up and get in. What is that? How's that work? How'd you get in? I got in because I annoyed the FBI a lot. Um, I had a um, a book that I had written 
it was my eighth book, Tempting Evil, and the uh, copy editor had a question that I really didn't have a good answer to, and I didn't know, so I just called the FBI office hoping that they had an answer to it. And I had to jump through hoops to get the um, public information officer to even call me back. I mean, I had to get cleared. I had to go through like a, this like mini background check. I don't know what they did, but ultimately I got cleared. He answered all my questions. He was absolutely fabulous. And then he invited me to participate in the Citizens Academy that he ran. And at the time, this was 2008. So at the time, they did them twice a year. And James Rollins, who's another author that I'm sure you yeah. know, he took yeah. was in the Citizens Academy a class after me. Hmm. So we've done a lot of alumni things, like we toured Folsom Prison together. That was a lot of fun. So <laughs> the Citizens Academy is basically where you get to talk to all the FBI agents there. There's 40 people in the class once a week. We get to go to the gun range. Um, we you know, get to learn a lot from every division of the FBI. And they come in and speak and answer questions. And I was able to make a lot of contacts. And, I mean, I do have to – anytime I have questions, I still have to go through the public information officer, but at least he can get me answers now without me mm -hmm. having to go through another background check. Well, the, I, the, excuse me, the authenticity really shines through in this book of, um, of your – knowledge of the FBI and law enforcement. Um, my dog Angus just got up and left the room. I don't think there's anything you said because I have uh, earphones <laughs> on, but um, Angus has left the room. Uh-oh. Uh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. God knows what he's up to. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned earlier you get bored easily, and you had tremendous success writing series and standalones. And the Lucy Kincaid series, huge success. Where? Why did you decide to switch to a new series now? Was it uh, time to refresh the uh, palette, or, or what was the reason? Well, I am doing two series. Um, so Lucy, there was a Lucy book that came out in November, um, and right. I'm just taking a break from her right now because, like I said, I do get bored. I was writing. I can write easily juggle two series. Because when I'm done with one book, then I can like write in a whole new world and new, you know, new characters in order to keep each world fresh. So because I do write two, well, I write about two and a half books a year. Um, <laughs> so I can go back and forth between my characters and between the different worlds that I've created and still have fun. And because if it's not fun, why would I want to do this for the rest of my life? So I, I do have fun doing that. With Lucy, she has she had so many books, and the last book really was a um, major uh, turning point for her and Sean and everybody in their lives. So it was a good place to take a hiatus and then regroup in a year or two with um, new kinds of stories and stuff. So, um, but the Quinn and Costa series, it's the same but different. I mean, obviously, it's still an FBI series. I do love writing law enforcement. I love police procedurals. I'm a huge fan, you know, private investigators, police procedurals, anything related to crime, um, crime and punishment. So, but this is different because it's focused in smaller, small communities, different kinds of crimes, and I can explore slightly different things. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, I, I haven't had the opportunity to read the first in the series yet. Um, as you know, there's a lot of reading going on right now. Um, <laughs> some, some not under my own uh, decision making, but, um, 
but I I feel like there's Lucy like there's there's going to be more things to unwrap. Like she's I, I'm get you get you get a little bit of a her her background, um, but not a whole lot. So I kind of like to feel I feel like there's going to be a lot of onion peeling with her as the series goes along, which um, I think is really fascinating. That was just a comment. Yeah, um, I think Kara has a lot to has a oh, lot. I said, Lucy, I'm sorry, I meant Kara. I'm, I meant Kara. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I, you know what? I can't even keep my kids straight. I don't expect you to keep my character straight. Well, <laughs> you've only got five kids. You've got over 40 books and a bunch of novellas. I can understand. Um, so as this book has a lot going on. I mean, uh, a lot of characters, a lot of twists and turns, loose ends that tie together to form a complex embroidery. Was it difficult to write this book? More difficult than others or the same? Um, this was probably a little bit more difficult only because I had to do a lot more research for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first book in the series was pretty much a straightforward serial killer book. And I've written serial killer books. They are a lot of fun. I just really kind of dig into the psychology more. So I'll read, pull out my psychology books. This mm-hmm. one I actually had to learn. I had to learn about um, environmental laws. I had to learn about mining. I had to learn about mm-hmm. how you <laughs> refine copper. I had to... Um, study maps and figure out um, there was a lot of things I had to kind of just figure out and understand before I could write the book. Um, Although an interesting point. (laughs) So this book, one of the, one of the plots or the subplots, they're all, they're all connected, but had to do with essentially money laundering, you know, Mm -hmm. drug cartels need to launder their money in order to be able to use it. And property is always a great way to launder money. So I had, I was, reading up about shell corporations, basically the pros and cons, you know, they're legal, um, they should be legal, but how people use these legal entities illegally was kind of, mm-hmm. I was reading up about it. And I, so when I was found out about buying up property under these shell corps, I go, oh, that's absolutely fascinating. And it became like a plot point in my book. Well, in the real world, it actually happens. Something almost identical to my book happened last year, by the way, long after I finished writing this book. Wow. I was reading this article. Um, I'm from California, Northern California, and I was very close to the Paradise Fire. In fact, my cousins lost their property there. So oh. I always, anytime I see anything in the news about the Paradise Fire, I'll tend to read it to see what's been going on. And an employee for PG&E hmm. had been fired for accepting bribes from a waste disposal company (laughs) that were disposing waste from the Paradise Fire. All I could think of was how similar that was to my story about illegal dumping. That's amazing. I know. I I thought my book was really complex and was a little borderline, maybe, you know, a little out there in terms of the plot and stuff and that these people were basically – dumping waste, and just taking the money, right? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, this really did happen in real life, and they did set up a shell corporation in order to hide the money, and they bought property. And I was fascinated that I came up with this idea before I even knew it happened in real life. <laughs> I think it just means you'd probably be a pretty good criminal. Um, I once, so my FBI contact, I once ran an, a story idea by him, and it had to do with um, uh, bribery, and 
Indian gaming. And I know a lot about campaign finance laws because I worked mm-hmm. in the California State Legislature for many years. And I ran this scenario by him, and I said, okay, how would you catch these people? Because I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I came up with this brilliant plan on how to launder money. And he said, actually, we wouldn't because they wouldn't even be looking in that direction. And I said, well, that's no good. (laughs) I mean, I have to catch them. This is is fiction. (laughs) Everybody gets caught in fiction. And he said somebody would have to turn state's evidence. He said that would have been the only way they would have ever caught based on the way I outlined how the scheme worked. So There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you do you do have a even third career out there should you decide to ever explore it. No, 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 no. I think I'll stay on the right side of the law. My daughter's a cop, so I don't Not really bad. want to get arrested. <laughs> well, good research. Um so Telling Lies is a great title for a book because there are a lot of people telling lies one way or another in the book. How much thought do you give titles to your books? Are you, uh, do, do your editor ever want you to change them? How's the process work for you? Um, it is a process. Basically, I sometimes get to keep my titles. Sometimes <laughs> I don't. Um, the Third to Die ended up being a great title. I called the book Three. Um But the third to die definitely worked on multiple levels. Tell no lies. Actually, when I come up with titles, I create a word list of essentially every theme in the book, every description like setting, um, the crimes, and I list all these words. usually takes like two pages of words. And then Mm. I look at those and I come up with a variety of titles. And then I pick my favorites and send my, you know, five or six favorites to my editor. Usually one of those titles will stick. That's what happened with Tell No Lies. Um, For the third book that I'm editing right now, I got my revisions. Um, I had a title that I loved, and they don't love Mm -hmm. it. So we're now brainstorming the third book's title to come up with something that we both love. Wow. Um, You segued into – one of the questions I want to ask you down the road, we have a lot of listeners who are uh, various stages of their writing career who like to hear about uh, successful writers process. And uh, you kind of uh, led me into that. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was just from listening to you talk today, how much, because I know you're such a fast writer, how much research do you do before you start actually doing the writing, or is it something as the story evolves, you research as you go, or both? I usually um, – I'll do a little research before I start writing if it's plot critical. So in Tell No Lies, I had to learn about copper refinery before I could <laughs> really start writing the book. And I did also interview – Um, someone from the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality to find Mm. out how they investigate environmental crimes and what the process is. Because that was something that was really important to the very beginning of the book um, because I didn't want them investigating. So I had to find a plausible way that they Mm. wouldn't invest in. But I had to then learn how they get involved and how they investigate. So those kinds of things, if it's plot critical, where the entire premise of the book is dependent on the information that I learn, I'll do it beforehand. But 
I usually research as I go. So in this book, I did look at maps. I learned about copper refinery and environmental crime before I ever started writing. Mm -hmm. But then when I was writing, I would constantly be looking at the map to try to figure out, okay, where are they going to go now? How far away is this? Um, The whole money laundering aspect of this, I learned as I was writing the book because I said, okay, I need to know this now because somebody has to explain it. And um, (laughs) so then I would then put aside an afternoon and then learn everything I can. And I'm one of those people, even when I was in school, I'm really good at cramming. So I could like study all night and ace a test and then I forget everything I learned. So if you want to know how to launder money, I probably don't remember. (laughs) Just read the book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of my research process. I also, you know, I think you're probably the same way. You a reader. You like to read books. Um, mm-hmm. I have probably 50, 60 books on my shelf that are all nonfiction. I read a lot of true crime. I watch forensic shows. I talk to people. I interview people whenever I can just to kind of pick their brains or learn about their job. So I have all this knowledge kind of in there, and then I'll try to get more detailed if I ever need to use it. Yeah, I think uh, you brought up a good point about interviewing people. This is uh, as we continue on the um, writer's journey here. I think some uh, writers in the beginning may be um, um, surprised to realize how how most almost almost everybody you talk to. Obviously, when you're talking to the FBI, you have to jump through some hoops. But how much so many people you talk to are willing to give you information, and um, I don't be afraid to contact them. And uh, it's just amazing how I, I, I've had one person say no, and it's a guy who owned a, a cattle ranch in Idaho. I don't know, maybe I just approached him wrong, but everybody <laughs> is so willing to give information. Have you found that too? Um, yes, especially now that I'm published. I'll tell, yeah. I'll tell a fun story. Um, so before I was published, um, I was writing a book. Now I'd sold my first book. So I had, but I, you know, so I was pre-published, I guess, but I was writing my second book in my contract, but my first book hadn't come out yet. And I needed to find out how to make a car stop running by putting something into the gas tank. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had my whole scenario and no mechanic would answer my questions and I needed to understand it. So I said, well, how can I make this? What can I put in the gas tank? And I guess they all thought that I was like trying to kill my husband or something. Nobody answered me. And it was really hard. I ended up um, at my niece's baptism. I um, was telling my brother-in-law, I said, yeah, and I have to figure this out because the book is done. But I left this big blank part in what he puts in the gas tank. And it can't be sugar because sugar can destroy a gas tank. But only once the fuel is gone, you know, so basically it destroys the mm. engine after it runs out of fuel or it right. gets low on fuel. And he goes, oh, I'm going to introduce you to so-and-so. He's a mechanic. And so he did, and I explained my whole scenario, and he said molasses. Yeah. Molasses will sink to the bottom and clog the fuel filter as it's going to the engine so that, because this was important, three to five miles after my victim's, filled up their gas tank, they would, mm-hmm. their car would start sounding funny and kind of, you know, sputtering. And so they would pull over and then they would get kidnapped and killed. So mm-hmm. I was like, it was perfect. And I was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> so I, um, that was the only time I didn't, somebody wasn't willing to help me. Now 
I do ask. Now, I would say I do have some advice about that. Learn everything you can so you're not asking stupid questions. Like, Good point. How many weeks does an FBI agent go to Quantico? That is all there on their FBI website. Right. So I know the FBI website inside and out, and I only ask questions that I can't get the answer to on their official pages. You actually asked the FBI an answer, a question rather, that they didn't have the answer to about money. Exactly. Um, yeah, so you stumped <laughs> them. So um, do you, I, I kind of, from knowing you a, a little bit, just a little bit, we talked a couple times. I have one. I have one thought of whether you're a outliner or a pantser or um, blank pager, as we call them here in San Diego. I'm not going to say what I think, but um, after reading you, I have a different idea. So, um, do you blank? Do you blank page or uh, or CD pants or outline? I have never plotted a book in my life. See, that's what I thought just by knowing you a little bit. But then after reading, <laughs> telling the lies. And the complexity of it, I'm thinking, well, she's got to, she's got to outline. There's just so much going on, so much to tie up. That's amazing. Nope, I don't. And, and the reason is, is one, I don't want to know what happens at the end of the book. I would get really mm-hmm. bored if I knew what happened. Um, <laughs> I have friends that read the last chapter of the book before they read the book. And I'm going, why would you even read the book if you know what happened? And no, I, I've never plotted. I do keep a notepad next to the computer so I could write down things as kind of as they come to me, like, well, names, because I forget people's names all the time. Um, Or I'll like say, if I like put in an investigation into the story, I'll say, don't forget to resolve this, especially if I know it's not important or if it's a red herring. But honestly, I write the book and I edit it as I go. And then revisions are important because then basically the book is a hundred thousand word outline. And right. so I'll go in and say, oh, I dropped this thread or I need to tie this off or this chapter needs to go because it's a completely irrelevant now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mind doing that. In fact, I like doing that because then I can see the whole picture, but it's all written. That you write. We, yeah, you write. I mean, I write very similar to the way you write. And I um that's so good to hear because there's hope for me. Um, I have a sister who reads the last chapter of a book first. I, actually, I call her a former sister because I had to disown her because she reads the last chapter of a book first. So she can no longer be a member of my family. But yeah, I don't, I, that's, that's crazy. But so it made me think you were talking about keeping track of names and, and things, which I'm horrible at. So do you have a Bible? Do you have a Bible for the Lucy Kincaid series? I mean, that's 17 books. I wish. No, I don't. And so it does hear. kind of bite me in the butt sometimes. And uh-huh. I have to go back and say, okay, what, like, I had a character, Noah Armstrong, and he was a recurring character. He was um, Lucy's supervisor. And I had written him in the, he was written into the first three books, but then he came back later. I could not remember anything about him. I didn't, couldn't even remember. I knew what he looked like only because when I create a character, I picture them in my head. So I did remember what he looked like, but I had no idea where he was from, if he had brothers and sisters, and it became important because they were having a conversation. And I'm like, wait a minute, did I say he didn't have a brother? Did he have a brother? Are his parents alive? I don't remember. I actually had to go back and reread to see if I even said it in a book. And so that's kind of a problem. So yes, I wish I had had a book Bible, but it's a little late to start that now. 
I've done exactly the same thing. I do it in every book. And after I finish each book, I say, well, I got to, I have to, I ha- now's the time I have to write that Bible. And I never do. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, you're telling me so many things that make me feel better about my um, process and that there's hope for me. But um, so this has been a crazy, a crazy year, obviously. Now I've seen you at book signings and at conferences, and it seems to me that you really, um, you love to personally engage with your readers. Very clear to me. So how difficult has this been uh, during this decade of lockdowns we've gone through in the last year not to be able to interact with your readers face-to-face? Well, I'm a, I'm a people person, and I like being out, and I guess I, I've been very frustrated. Um, you know, I, if, if any bookstore had wanted to have me, I would have gone, I, sure. you know, but nobody was open. Yeah. Um, I did a signing at Poison Pen. You know, they're, they're open now for yeah. people – you know, can shop, but so I went there and signed and made, you know, so that people could order this book signed, but they're not having any events. And I'm tired of Zoom. I'm tired of online stuff. And, you know, I just, I guess, I just, I'm a little more, I guess, straightforward about things and risk assessment. And I look at risk very differently than apparently some people. So I, I'm glad I live in Arizona as opposed to California right now um, yep. because we've had a lot more freedom. Um, I almost said, we, you know, we moved to Arizona two years ago, and I said to my husband, I said, I think we need to move to Florida now. But I didn't really huh. want to move across the country again, and I'm not an East Coast person. I'm definitely a West Coast, Southwest kind of person. So, um, But, yeah, no, I think I'm hoping that by next year um, – we'll have Thriller Fest again, that we people can go out and meet and socialize, and this will just be something that, well, I don't think anybody's going to laugh at it, but, you know, that people will just, it'll be in the past. Yeah. Speaking of then, um, I'm I'm going to VoucherCon as far as I know. Are you going? I am thinking about it. One of the things is I have two more kids at home, and mm-hmm. I have um, my daughter is graduating this year and she's going to university of Arizona for college. And then my son will be a senior. So a lot of it has to do with just timing and being able to get away just when I have the last two kids at home, you know? So it's like, I would like to go. I'm planning on going. I'm with, I have my best friend lives there. So I'm, I would say right now it's 50, 50. Yeah. And it's, you know, I I hope it's better than 50, 50 that actually comes off. I I think there's this hope it actually will come off. Um, yeah, well, I, 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 mean, uh, I want to go, but it's just, yeah. it's, it's family has to come first yeah, and that's, absolutely. you know, I don't want to miss out on something because I went to a conference. I missed out on a few things over the years and I just decided as my kids were growing up that I wasn't going to miss out on anything because I have plenty of time to socialize. <laughs> yeah. And now we, we do it, um, through the computer. So, uh, <laughs> what's next? How many books uh, for twenty? For let's see, we, we, you had actually a novella come out, I think, in January. So, and you've got yeah. Telling the Lines just came out. Is there going to be another book in twenty twenty one, or are you slacking off? No, there is another book. <laughs> it's yeah. already done. It's with my editor. Um, it's called The Sorority Murder, and it's it's about a former uh, U.S. marshal who returns home to Flagstaff after her son is murdered. And she gets involved with a cold case. A podcaster on the college university is investigating a cold case murder, and she gets wrapped up in that. So that was fun. Um, 
it may be a standalone or it may be a series. Um, she's a really good character, so I might write a couple books about her, but I don't know how many. Um, and then next year I have the third Quinn and Costa book um, and probably the second Regan Merritt book. And then I'm hoping to do more Lucy's the following year, crossing my fingers that it all works out. <laughs> wow. Well, I know you have a, uh, speaking of uh, kids and sports, they gave a softball game together today. <clears throat> so I appreciate you taking yes, time. I do. This, I don't know what time, actually, we're in the same time right now in Arizona and California. It's 1133, right? Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, thanks for taking time this morning. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed the book. I highly recommend people to go out and buy Tell No Lies. Um, and they don't need my recommendation because they probably already read you. So um, <laughs> hopefully we'll see you down the road, see you in BoucherCon. If not, um, you know, one of these conferences when we actually start getting out again. Absolutely. I will be there. All right. Thanks again. Really appreciate you talking to us. And thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right, folks, that uh, wraps it up. Uh, Going to have another show uh, next month. I'm not exactly sure. What it, I mean, I've got somebody on the list, but I haven't really nailed down the um, specifics yet. Thanks for listening. If you're in a book club and would like to listen to me talk about myself, which I do a lot, please visit my website at mattcoilbooks.com to set up a talk. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and we'll be talking to you again fairly soon.